What's up, y'all? My name is Jake. And my name is Carl. And you're listening to Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We deeply appreciate it. We're going to talk about what's in a name. How are you, Carl? Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm tired. Um, I think three-fourths of the work that I do in a given week, I do in the first half of the week. You know what I mean? So... Mm-hmm. We're finally in the back end of the week, and I'm just... I might sound a little sleepy, and that's because I am, so I'm all right. I can't complain too much, I suppose. Gotcha. Yep. How are you, Jake? Um, I'm doing better. Um, that's right, you, you were probably sick. hear my voice is doing better, which is awesome. Um, so I'm still a little sick, but getting over it. Actually have had a lot of rest, so it's been pretty good to kind of uh, recharge. Yeah, um, sleeping might be underrated. Yeah. Which is insane. <laughs> yeah. And if you're listening out there, uh, go to, maybe, to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Take care of yourself, which means get some good, get some good rest. Uh, so what we're talking about today is as men in social justice work, I think we have to think about the ways in which we call ourselves. So there's names that we kind of can associate ourselves like ally, advocate, um, accomplice, and so on. And so I think what we're going to do today is talk about the pros and cons of these terms and how we would name ourselves in social justice spaces and social justice work as men. So what are some words that kind of catch you, Carl? Uh, I think we should probably start this whole deal by talking about the word ally specifically. It's probably the most popular and I would say maybe the most controversial at this point Hmm. in terms of how people feel about the way the word is used. What are your thoughts on the word ally? Ally, I think about like who kind of names, who gets to, to name that and who gets to call themselves that, which is interesting and also can be problematic at times. What do you mean? When people like, especially like men say, I'm an ally. And it's like, who said that? Like, <laughs> you say that? Uh, that's good. Um, not really. I think it shows some way of like being almost the hero. If you're like okay. naming it for yourself, like if I come up to someone and say, I'm an ally, don't worry about me. Instant um, red flag for right, me, man. Right. And so then if it were given to me, that name to me, like, oh, you're my ally, I think it would be okay. But the I think this term has loosely been used and also holds a stigma as mm. well. Yeah. Before we do this, I was kind of joking. I was like. Maybe we should title this podcast The Life and Death of the Word Ally. Uh, (laughs) Upon further reflection, I don't know if the word should be dead yet. Because I think I hear a lot of men in particular sort of ask the question, how can I be a better ally? I hear it less and less in the way that it's phrased at the beginning of like showing up in space and be like, but I'm an ally. So I don't think we should prevent people or shame people for using the term ally. But I think it's important for people to really think about how they use it, the intent they use it with. And if they're like, how can I be better as an ally? I think there's some elements and nuances of that that are a little problematic. But I think it's a really great start in terms of not centering yourself in the work, but trying to figure out how to be a better person in general to contribute to the movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've i usually used it. I usually never have like said, like, you're an ally, Jake, to myself, like talking to myself or reflecting on things. Right. It's more of just like... There's a reason why I'm doing the work. I'm not really going to label myself that much because I think that just can get misconstrued. And like, also, I think it's just a little bit, it, I think it can be ego to like egotistical sometimes. I think I'm saying that word. Right. <laughs> yeah, you um, got it. And so I think it comes off as like, oh, like you're this like badass dude because you're doing the work and like 
you are an ally. Like <laughs> I think that just gets a little to be too much and kind of almost not productive. So I think sometimes I used to kind of aim towards like, I'm an advocate, but I think I've almost even changed my way of like labeling myself to other words. Yeah. I think the central philosophy of this podcast, like as this hetero man, or, you know, I guess as people trying to do social justice work as a whole, a central philosophy is to continue growing as a person. Mm -hmm. And so I think we, and by we, I want to say like as marginalized groups, we get burned by people who believe that they're allies and think that that's the end of their growth, right? It's been used as a shield from time to time to stop from being critical and receiving feedback about dominant identities, which often I would say is given out of love, right? Like I want you to be a better person. So I'm going to provide you this feedback to tell you that you hurt me when we're met with defensiveness. All too often it happens from people, from self-proclaimed allies in the movement. Again, I don't think we want people to stop identifying as allies necessarily. We just asking people to be really careful about what that means right. to them and be very clear about how that lands on the people you're trying to work with, hopefully not save and rescue from the systems that you are complicit in setting up right. and maintaining. Um, yeah, you bring up a good point about feedback. And then also I think about how ally is kind of rooted in a little bit of a complacency being okay. complicit too. Cause yeah, like you said, like someone can call themselves an ally or think that they are an ally and that's it done like oh i showed up to this workshop cool i'm an ally sweet later um, <laughs> and so think about how that is another work avoidance mechanism we don't want to limit ourselves in this either right and i also think there's some degree of i'll call it privilege in us sitting around trying to figure out what label fits us best when we should just like go out and do it so I really want us to root this conversation in the fact that oppression impacts us all negatively, even if we receive systemic benefits from it as men in the system of patriarchy. But ultimately, patriarchy limits the way men are able to express themselves. And that's really starting to pop up in rates of suicide and violence in our country. And so we're having a very philosophical discussion that I think helps frame our actions in ways that helps guide us in how to show up in social justice spaces and how to show up in doing quote unquote the work. So if this feels like fluffy bullshit, I agree to some extent. And I do think having this conversation helps guide us in a direction and in philosophy that aligns best with coming together as a community to try to solve the world's problems. So that's what I want to couch this particular conversation in. So with that being said, what are some other labels or philosophies that we should think about as men doing this work? Yeah, there's tons. We're only going to talk about like five-ish because of time. Yeah. But some of the honorable mentions that we have are labels like activist, active bystander, partner, supporter. I think friends is a really interesting one. Mm -hmm. Like friends of the movement, like when you think about being friends with somebody, how you do, how do you do that? Yeah. Um, participant, social justice warrior turncoat and conspirator are all types of labels with different meanings, but are also sort of geared towards the work. But the ones that we want to talk in more detail about are advocate, pro-feminist, accomplice, and stakeholder. Word. So let's get into some of the pros and cons of some of these terms and philosophies. I think it would be cool to start with advocate. Um, that's something that kind of has stood out to me usually doing this work. I used to think about how I associated myself as an advocate. And I think a couple of 
pros to that is that you do kind of feel like a support system for yourself and others. And then I think the con also kind of goes back to the hero complex or kind of feeling like you can be a savior and I'm an advocate. I can, I can help. <laughs> like, right. I feel like it just like, it's like a cartoon of a superhero. Um, <laughs> and so I think that's kind of one of the pros and cons that kind of reach out to me right now. Are there any that reach out to you, Carl? I mean, I initially locate all of these words and what's the first sort of image that pops into my head. An advocate for me in my job is a confidential space, right? Like I get to hear, I mean, I don't think I should say I get to hear, um, but my job as an advocate is to listen to stories of students of trauma and pain in a confidential space. And I think that's really relatable beyond a job. When we hear stories of pain and trauma, which you can get on the internet because there's brave people telling their stories all the time. That's a pretty intimate setting that level of vulnerability will open up and make connections in a way. Like you can do that with your friends all the time. Mm -hmm. The word advocate kind of starts there for me, but then there's this next level step of you have to take the stories that you've listened to and heard and then go do something positive with it. Our advocates at the Women and Gender Advocacy Center do just that. They advocate for the survivors that they meet with in confidence through the medical system, through police departments, through university processes. They're there to support and help and remind survivors that there's someone there for them that they can kind of process through in private so that they're at their best when they go through official and very difficult processes while they seek justice. The tough thing, I think, if you're an, I've considered yourself an advocate that's not job related is you might find yourself trying to speak for the experiences of others often. And that can be really, really hard. And that's a really big responsibility. Being an advocate means you're very clear about what it is you're advocating for so that you don't misrepresent the people that you're advocating for. Yeah, I'm sure, sure. I, I said for a bunch. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. I'm worried about it. Yeah, I think about how I've even done that, like of like speaking for others and their experiences when they're not mine and how that impact has really been harmful. And I also think I've associated myself as an advocate. So then it's like those really connect well together. Well, and um, there's going to be like, we have access to spaces that women and you, particularly people of color, don't have access to, right? So there is an important element of being able to advocate for voices that don't get heard in some spaces, you know? So right. there is a very, advocates have a very important role in social justice, I think, in terms of getting the voices of the unheard in spaces where they need to be heard. For sure. Uh, the next one that I think we should talk about is pro-feminist. I, I don't know where to, I don't, I don't know where to start with this one, but we say pro-feminist intentionally. I think there's a lot of more academic-y stuff out there that feminist as a noun, as something that you identify with, probably should be reserved for female-bodied or those who identify as women because all of the work, like all of the work initially has been done by female-bodied and women-identified people. And so for us men to identify as feminist, I don't think totally takes that away. And I think it, there is areas of strategic self proclaiming a feminist that work. I also think there's a lot to be said about men saying the word feminist, potentially erasing the work of women who made that label valuable in the first place. And so pro-feminist is a way for men to sort of identify as people who sort of embody feminist ideology in their everyday life. Yeah, I agree with all that. I like pro-feminist, but sometimes I'm like, it seems like almost power within pro-feminist. And I think like having that, just something equates to me thinking about how men have to have sometimes like separate things, like man wipes or dude wipes. <laughs> Is that or where like, your head goes? Okay. 
which I think is good and it's bad in some ways is that it's like gendered. Right. But I think it's like important because then yet we said like, if we don't want to call the work our own because we haven't been doing the work. Yeah. And I also think separating it seems like a male thing to do. I don't know. Well, it depends on the intent too. If a collection of feminists said this is the way we want men to label themselves in the movement i'm on board you know what i mean um and it's impossible to say like every feminist agrees with whatever that process was one of the beauties of feminist philosophy i think is we tend to abhor and shame contradictions we call it hypocrisy which is i think a different level of contradiction Mm -hmm. like we don't want anyone to ever contradict themselves or believe that contradictions even exist we want everyone to be perfect Feminism and feminist philosophy, I think we want to walk into and accept contradictions and talk about it because once we start talking about it, it makes more sense. It's more acceptable to have like Mm -hmm. two truths in one conversation. And so I think it's important philosophically to identify as pro-feminist if you're men, even if it feels like we like feminism needs men's approval or whatever. Like I approve of feminism stamp. Um, (laughs) That's gross. But I do think the intent came from a collection of, like I said, academic feminists. And so that's worth sort of honoring for now. Sure. Did not know some of that. So thank you. I don't know all of it either. I can't claim to be an expert on it, but that's where I I first heard it. You gave me some knowledge. So (laughs) that's really awesome. So one word that I think is really important and something that I've been learning more about recently um, is accomplice. When I think people think about the word accomplice, it's usually like in a connotation of being a criminal or being uh, unjust in our Western society that we think is, oh, they're being an accomplice. They're robbing a bank, blah, blah, blah. And I think if you flip that on its head, yes, I'm robbing a bank, but I'm robbing it for the good reasons. I mean, I'm not literally going to rob a bank. That's bad. (laughs) But like doing the work that some people can potentially be in prison for because some people view it as unjust or our system views it as unjust. And I think it's really important to show that accomplice you're a part of the work and you're also active within the work and instead of, and it's also a process for you as well, instead of it just being, oh, here's the end result. I'm going to go along with my day and just go back to being an ally. <laughs> um, so that's where I'm at with it. What are your thoughts on accomplice? Carl? Accomplice is definitely gaining popularity. I like the implication of the relationship that needs to happen to achieve that level of accomplice. You also sort of get a well-defined, not maybe well-defined, but it's a role in the process that's going forward, but it's not the central role. Mm. If we're going to go with the robbing the bank example, let's say (laughs) the bank is capitalism and patriarchy. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So we said at the beginning, like we're all impacted by oppression, but it's undeniable that patriarchal structures impact women at a rate that is like deadly. And so centering their needs and what women want to do in the work, how they want to do the work, that should be the person putting themselves on the line in a sense, in terms of how to take down systems of patriarchy. And if we're going to be accomplices, that means we have to listen to those wants and needs and then play the role that increases the chance for success for the person robbing the patriarchy. And so that's why I really like this word as well, in the sense that it really helps us think about what are the ways in which we've been asked to be 
men and how to show up in spaces and then go do that and know and understand that that's our role in this process of bringing social justice to the world. For sure. And I actually like there's a cool thing. I'm getting older. So saying the word cool might be inherently uncool. Cool is still cool. Cool. Just go for it. (laughs) There's some degree of coolness, I think, in the idea that being like, well, so being, uh, you know what? This line of thought is dumb. I'm going to stop that. Are you sure? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's dumb, but it sounded good. All well, right. so I just made, it just made me realize something. There's also like the the process of white supremacy and patriarchy literally criminalizes people of color and women. And so, you know, we're already trying to align ourselves with people the system deemed as criminals. And so this idea of accomplice actually is a really apt like it kind of uses and flips colonial concepts of crime and uses it to try to take it down. And that's another aspect of it that I really, really like. I don't know how often I use it to describe myself, but I do think it most philosophically aligns with how I sort of approach the way I interact with men, interact with women, interact with everyone. For sure. The word accomplice kind of, I feel like broadens your understanding of social justice work in the ways that I've done it. I think if you're doing it in a way of wanting to learn more each time you step into a space or learn every time you read an article or however you want to really learn about this work, I think if you step in it as I want to be an accomplice, if people call you that and say, hey, this is why we need you here, then I think that's really important. But if you don't show up ever, then you don't know if you will be. (laughs) Right. Right. So I think we talked about showing up a little bit in another podcast. And that's the thing that's really important to think about is if people, for example, like for me, I would give my own self-experience of like, Jake, we need you to come to this March and it's about Black Lives Matter. If you're not showing up, you're no longer an accomplice. I mean, they wouldn't say that exactly, <laughs> those exact words to me, but there's an expectation that I would show up. Right. And if I don't, that could be really detrimental to the trust that I built with my colleagues or friends or whoever that I'm associating my, myself with in this hypothetical example. But I think it's important to think about how if we're not showing up as men or as or for me as a white man, then these words kind of no longer exist for us or these philosophies should no longer exist. I wouldn't say this is out of like shame or blame. It's more of out of trying to humble yourself and go, okay, well, I didn't show up then. I need to show up a little more next time. Right. And, but that doesn't mean like the bonds that you have broken will be repaired. Right. Um, so that's something that I just thought would be important to yeah, constantly about. challenging yourself to do better next time is a really good process. Without, and trying to do that without shame and guilt is a tougher process, but mm-hmm. a good one. I also think if there's some level of discomfort that you're feeling, and I know a lot of the men in the movement guys felt discomfort around identifying as an accomplice or a conspirator, that to me is sort of a direct result of colonized mind and the impact of white supremacy and patriarchy as it relates to privilege. Because we're taught that all laws are good and we should abide by all the laws. But that's because we've never really faced criminalization from the laws, just from who we are. And so if you're feeling like a slight discomfort around how, why the hell are these guys talking about being accomplices in this whole deal and glorifying crime? I don't know if we're glorifying crime necessarily, but we are saying that if there's an unjust law, then break it and change it. And in order to figure out which laws are just and which laws aren't just, then you need to go and listen and learn some. I don't know if we can, I can't come up with any off the top of my head, but there's definitely a lot out there and we should really think about it. Yeah, for sure. The last one we want to talk about is stakeholder. This one I think is really interesting 
a stakeholder, the first thing I think about is what are the resources that I have and how can I best use the resources to go towards a common goal? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? My thoughts are, um, for me, the meaning to me is like someone important that also holds power. Okay. For example, like I think men in, in this case can be used as a stakeholder to do work and be, be helpful, I think, and be a way to like even help the process of healing for folks, a uh, process of resistance for um, folks that don't have a voice or voiceless. And so I think about how that is the good connotation for it. But I think also, so I think about how the, I guess a con for stakeholder is that it's seems as like you're important, cool. Like that's like, Oh, that's great. Which is good. Um, for like maybe five seconds. I think there's a way of like thinking about power in two different ways about it. When I think about stakeholder, I think about someone who is in a business suit and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that's another sort of colonized ideal of what the word means. And I want us to reframe stakeholder in the sense of when I said resources, I didn't necessarily mean you have a bunch of money. Although if right. you have a bunch of money, you have a ton of ability to help movements. Um, I'm talking about social capital and inherent credibility as a result of just owning dominant identities. Right. And so... Mm-hmm. The sort of the visceral rejection and defensiveness that I hear from white men in particular around the word privilege, if we were able to frame that as not necessarily a negative and a bad thing to have, but an increased potential for creating a lot of change, those people can be stakeholders in the movement. But you have to kind of recognize what the power is that you have, what the resources that you do have, and then help others gain access to those resources in a way that helps the movement. I also kind of like... Well, this is like a pro con simultaneous point of a stakeholder is it's a little bit more of a passive role in the movement because you're kind of sitting here with these. Well, so you can change it into an active role because you can go to communities and be like, these are the resources that I have. What can I do? Or you can kind of sit back and wait for someone to come to you and be like, can I use your resources? And that's sort of what a stakeholder philosophy is, is thinking in a very literal sense. What are the ways in which I can provide and or use the stake that I have? And it could be positional power, right? It could Mm be Dr. Tony Frank, the president of Colorado State University. He is a hell of a stakeholder that we should probably leverage in terms of trying to figure out how to make the process of survivors more safe and affirming and validating on campus. So another way to think about stakeholder is strategically, who are the people that I can go to or petition or write letters to or ask for stuff to help in whatever cause that I'm trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. So what uh, we learned today, Jake? What I learned today? I guess that a lot of it has to be around decolonializing your mind or... Decolonizing. Decolonizing, thank you. Um, decolonizing your mind and getting out of that Western way of thinking. I wouldn't say, I mean, I actually would say that thinking about it in the Western way, I think of being li- linear. Like mm. if I'm an ally, I do this thing and then I attain my goal and then I'm done. Right. But I think if you're thinking of it as, as a cyclical process, then it's important to think about that that way because it's always like, I am an accomplice. So this means I said this fucked up thing, I have to repair the damage and then move on. And I think that's really important to think about, especially for men doing this process is never think about the work as a product and more of a process. Because if you think about it as a product, then it then you're going back to the Western ways of thinking that we've been ingrained in the US to think about. I wouldn't say any of these 
philosophies or terms are bad necessarily. I think there's just a bit of pros and cons to them. In my opinion, I'd probably use accomplice Mm. that I would like to think about. I don't think I would ever want to label myself as that. Um, What did you learn, Carl? Or what what are some last thoughts? Something that... I continue to learn and think about whenever we do this exercise of philosophically, what should we name ourselves is there's aspects of each label to think about practicing, because I think there are some times where I'm a stakeholder. There are other times where I'm an advocate. And then there are other times where I want to be and am an accomplice. Regardless of how you see yourself or philosophically align yourself, one of the core tenets should be that the work sort of never ends. Right. You don't get a label and then you stop. Like it's right. not necessarily an accomplishment until we're all free. Francis Beale, who wrote an article called Double Jeopardy, says it like this. And I think it's really important. We must begin to understand that a revolution entails not only the willingness to lay our lives on the firing line and get killed. In some ways, this is an easy commitment to make. To die for the revolution is a one shot deal. To live for the revolution means taking on the more difficult commitment of changing our day to day life patterns. That's from this article called Double Jeopardy in an anthology called Words of Fire. It's incredible. And that's sort of the level of thinking that we kind of have to understand the work that us as men in social justice have to think. Our day-to-day life patterns is a really crucial aspect to really interrogate and think about as we move forward. And so I think one of the lessons that I took from having this conversation is regardless of how you sort of identify yourself, think about the pros and cons of it and remember that it's sort of a day-to-day growth process and trying to live through those ideals, which is pretty hard. For sure. Um, Do you want to close this out? Close this out. That will do it for this episode of Do You Even Lift Bro? Men Exercising Social Justice. If you have feedback, thoughts, comments, questions, or want to be interviewed for a podcast, please email WGAC at colostate.edu. That's WGAC at C-O-L-O-S-T-A-T-E dot E-D-U. Huge shout out to the partnership between the Women and Gender Advocacy Center and KCSU here at Colorado State University. These are the folks that even allow this podcast to happen. For more content about masculinities, check out meninthemovement.blogspot.com. And for more information about the WGAC, go to wgac.colostate.edu. For more KCSU content, go to kcsufm.com. Music production is by Xavier Hadley, a.k.a. Zavley. Check him out at soundcloud.com slash Xavier Hadley. That's X-A-V-I-E-R-H-A-D-L-E-Y. Thanks for listening, everyone. See ya. Peace. For sure. Um, do you want to close this out? I'll close this out. <laughs> Just in time, huh? Yeah. Holding it in for a little bit. <laughs>